Jam Studios brought to you by Old Mutual. Hello everybody and a warm welcome to Nasty C's Zulu Man with some power podcast series brought to you by M Studios by Old Mutual. Right now I am coming at you guys from M Studios in Newtown which is an incredible world-class facility that was put together by the good people at Old Mutual. As you can see they've got a dope stage behind me with incredible lighting and a full PA system. There's a recording studio, a boardroom and so many other facilities that you guys can use if you want to take your career to the next level. For more information, make sure you check out this website that is strapped below. Since the very beginning of his career, Nasty C has been a big thinker. He's always tried to do things differently. And that's probably why he's advanced to the international level where he is today. So to celebrate the release of his third album, Zuluman with some power, he has called upon some industry professionals to break down what really happens behind the scenes in the music industry. So whether you're an artist, whether you're a content creator, whether you're an aspiring music manager, there's so much cool information in the series that you definitely want to check out. In this week's episode, Nasty C lets us in on what it's like to have an international record deal. He sits down with Yvette Gale from his management team, as well as Justin Duran, who was the marketing manager from Def Jam Records in New York City. In this episode, they break down how they actually first discovered Nasty C and what it takes for a young African artist to make an impact on the global music scene. The time is now. Let's go. M Studios brought to you by Old Mutual. Welcome to the Zulu Man with Some Power podcast. Here we go. We are here today with the Zulu Man himself, Nasty C. And Justin Duran from Def Jam, New York City in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What's going on, guys? Uh, I'm good. I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Everything's great. Everything's great. Up and early. Up and early on my side for Junior. Indeed. Appreciate it. I think that we wanted to just kind of on this podcast talk about the artistry and the growth of artistry and how does someone cross over from their continent into North America and what are the challenges and the things that happen and and what what do we have to overcome and what works for us? So I guess, Justin, I would like to know how you felt when it was first brought to your attention that Def Jam was going to sign Nasty C to give that global North America push? I was at Def Jam for five years. I had my first two breakout artists uh, at Def Jam the last two years, uh, Logic and uh, Alessia Cara. But I had been working in the music business for a while and that was the first time I ever experienced like an artist crossover. Logic was more like internet rap, Alessia Cara was more like bedroom pop. And then they both crossed over, Grammy nominated, number one records. Um, And I got addicted to that feeling. So the next step of my career, I kept telling my boss at the time, like, yo, I need something bigger. Like, I need something bigger. So um, they had a meeting with uh, Colin, Sipo. uh, I believe you were there. I know Junior was there. And my boss just went over to my my office and was like, yo, you want something bigger? Come with me. (laughs) And once once I was in the room, I was texting him, like, do not give this project to anybody else. I need this. So, you know, and and I said that because full transparency, I didn't know who Junior was at the time. But just to see what you guys have already built, I felt like that would be the next challenge for me. Like, I got to take that to the next level. It felt like it already needed to be in the American marketplace. Like, oh, this is ready to go. It just needs like someone that has respect for urban culture, hip hop culture, to just take it and do it the right way, not make it feel forced. And 
just because I'm competitive by nature, I didn't want nobody else to have it. I was like, I could do the best job with that. So I was excited. And Junior, can you talk about like last year, I think you went to 34 new international markets, right? What is your perspective? Like when you first started out, did you think that, you know, did you have global domination on your site? Or were you just thinking, you know, at Africa, home, South Africa? Like what was going through your your thoughts as you evolve? My whole thing since I started, I always looked at myself as somebody who was once going to be like a global superstar. So whenever I made my music, I didn't, I didn't make it thinking, oh, this is only going to exist here in South Africa or in Africa or in a certain market. Like I always just made music for the entire world. And I just, I always like believe that if, if, I, if I keep going as hard as I'm going and keep improving, then it's only going to be like a matter of exposure. And I think that's what what's key. And for a lot of artists who look up to you and look like they want to, you know, forge their own path, you know, it's about opportunity. It's about hunger. And sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time. You know, Justin, I don't know if you, you probably don't know this, but I first met Junior when I was still working at Interscope and I was head of urban uh, PR. And at that time, I was trying to get him signed to Interscope. No, no shade to Def Jam. <laughs> and um, I had, was hired. I got to leave. I got to leave. <laughs> they lost yeah, it. Yeah, so. yeah. But I remember meeting Junior for the first time. And I remember saying and hearing that this kid is going to be huge. Right. I've worked with a lot of different artists, a lot of different hip hop artists from Nas to the Fugees to 50 Cent and whatnot. And when I first heard you, I got that same feeling that I heard or felt, you know, when they were coming up. So I knew that this it was like you. I was like, oh, I got to get on a plane and I need to come. And I was actually hired before I became his manager. I was working with him just to kind of help shift his global presence by the label that he used to be signed for. And do you remember the first time you went to America? Yeah. The U.S. It was uh, New York, I think. Yeah, right? it was. How was yeah. that experience for you? <clears throat> it was dope, man. It felt like, it felt exactly, exactly like all the shit that I've seen, like, and and, and thought it was gonna be. You know what I mean? Like, it, it definitely fulfilled that, and it was a little intimidating. I don't lie, it was, it was, it was, it was very intimidating, because like when you when you read stories of just like people that that just like blew up overnight in the states, you think, okay, this this is gonna be easier and whatever. And then when you go there and realize how many other people are like waiting in line, you start to realize, oh shit, like I'm falling into like a pack of what, like thousands of other people that are just like waiting for their shots. So it's like competitive and everybody's moving. Everybody's like trying to do the next thing like right now, you know, they work way, way, way faster than, than, than us down here. So it was like, it, but it gave me like a creative high. Mm -hmm. Give me like a rush. Justin, what do you think the challenges are? Like, obviously, we usually have a, a set game plan or a path or a road in general when we're trying to break a new artist in North America. And how do those timelines and how do those projections change when you're dealing with someone who's ex-US and you're trying to bring them in? You know, um, I know this is not, I do marketing for juniors. So I know this is probably not the best thing to say, but I, I have a feeling that a lot of his fans and younger kids that may be influenced by whatever content Junior puts out in South Africa or SA or anywhere in the world are gonna to listen to this. And I feel being being honest is probably the best route for that, that kid. Like a 12 year old version of Nasty C right now, somewhere listening to this. I think there is no solid guaranteed game plan to breaking anywhere. You could live in New York and you could struggle and you could also live in SA and struggle. So I just wanna say that before I, before I pontificate with my label experience. No one really knows. I think a 12 year old 
version of Nasty T needs to sit at home and know that. Hey, this dude at Def Jam that worked with some of the biggest artists in the world said that no one really knows, so I'm gonna go super hard. And that's what Junior did. His ignorance led him to where he was. For what it's worth, my story, not anywhere close to Junior's, and I'm sure the same for you, Yvette. You know, no one where I come from would ever be able to do what I do. I'm an astronaut. You know, like people look at me and they're like, I can't believe you're doing what you do. I didn't have a direct route. There's kids that I go to, that I work with that went to school for business. And I went to community college and started a radio show. So there's no direct path. There's no direct path. You, you figure it out as you go along and the internet creates entry points for people that are in a whole other side of the planet to be a part of the US conversation. So that's the broadest stroke I could give knowing who's gonna be listening to this. And then I could get into the details of Nasty C because it's obviously a little bit more articulate than that. So there's one construct where you're here in South Africa and you are superstar, right? And you're used to moving and shaking and getting certain things. How does it feel or does it feel any different when you have to go to America? And you're basically starting at the bottom, right? Because people don't know you. There's a, a community that I'm sure has heard of you, but essentially you're starting over as a brand new artist. How do you handle that? How do you adapt to that? I look at it like a chance to make a better first impression. You know what I mean? The first time I started out when the same thing that's happening to me in the States was happening here at home. I didn't have a lot of experience. I didn't have stage presence. I was very shy. I didn't have the confidence I wanted, self-esteem. Everything was kind of like at the bottom. I was still figuring out a lot of shit about myself even. And, and now, that I, now that I get to do that again in the States, I understand the stakes are higher. I understand that I'm coming in with a lot more experience. So I know, I know what catches, I know how to interact with the crowd. Even if it's eight people, I know how to make that work with those eight people. Make sure when they go home, they remember who I, who I am and what I did on stage. You know what I mean? I just look at it like, it's just a second chance, man, to, to, to do it again, but like better and more surgical, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Do you feel a lot of pressure? No, from what? pressure to, to make it there maybe as big as you've made it here or do you not? Oh yes, no, that's but that's always been my thing though. It's like, it's sort of like, and more especially with hip hop, you haven't really made it until you make it in the States. When you make it in the States, it's like you've you made it everywhere mm -hmm. else. Yvette, you, you had mentioned, you know, what are the difficulties to breaking in the U.S.? When I got the Nasty C project, I'm sure all his fans know we call him Junior, so if you hear both names, then that's the same person. The minute I got the Junior project, the minute I get any project, my job as a project manager and a marketer is to understand, like, the pros and the cons of the artist. The artist is brand new, then I have to focus on his skill set because that's the advantage he has. The minute Nasty C came in, it was like, how many followers does this dude got? <laughs> How many views this video's got? This already took off. Now, I say that as a marketer, but the fan in me, like the kid in me is like, I know, and it's probably the same for you, Junior. I, I know a lot of like where I'm from, to be the first on anything is makes you the coolest. Like if I'm the first one to wear a certain sneaker, if I'm the first one to with a certain artist, like that is cachet for me. So the minute I got the project, I remember telling Colin and Yvette, like, you know, our, our advantage here is that this is already happening. So the U.S. market is they're so arrogant, like the U.S. fan is so arrogant because we produce the most hip hop and pop music that when a new artist comes and we don't know about it and the, and the momentum is kind of happening without us knowing, they like the front like they already knew about it. Oh, yeah, 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 I've been known about Nasty C. Oh, oh, you know, like, so that was the advantage. It was the part of the marketing plan was like, yo, how do we use, how do we leverage his fan base, his audience, his momentum and put it into these vlogs or these Instagram accounts and do, do a press run and videos where people feel like they're late. And you know, the phrase, the phrase is universal, it's FOMO. It's, it's, it's part of internet culture when you're, when you're fear of missing out. And I think that was a big thing for us is it's using uh, Nasty C's momentum from outside and bringing it to the States and making people feel like 
they were missing out. So I think that's really important. You have to understand what advantages you have coming in. And if you don't have a fan base, I was preparing for this interview, Junior, and I, I was looking at all the dope artists in SA and there was one kid, I don't know his name, I don't remember it off top, but like, he came up on a few YouTube channels, like he's the fastest rapper in South Africa. And that was like, the only thing I kept hearing, he's the fastest, he's the fastest. It's like, oh, that's his competitive advantage. Because he, he may not have an audience, I don't know anything about him, so with all due respect, but that's the one thing they kept talking about. So again, I think when you come to the US, you gotta know what advantages you have as an artist and don't go away from them, double down on them. If you're a dope rapper, if you're a singer, if you're an Afro pop, DJ, whatever it is, don't go away from what comes to you naturally. Don't go away from what is your 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 skill set. Don't try to adapt too much because you're gonna get lost in the crowd. A thousand percent. That answers a question that a lot of interviewers ask me regarding this similar topic. Actually, when they ask me now that now that you're making this move to the states or whatever, do you think that that's gonna influence your sound and what type of music you put out? And that that says it like best. Like why would I why would I take on something that's gonna be harder for me to you know what I mean like instead of just using what I already am mastering. But I can say this, do you think, or I guess it's more of a question, do you think that the more that you're exposed to, because somebody may say, and I'm, I'm sure haters always try to find something to say, right? But as you travel to Japan and you go to Paris and you go to Germany and you record in the US and all these places, isn't it about growth and learning? Don't you learn yes. new things, even yeah. about yourself or your sound or what have you? Yeah. So isn't it, just to be expected that eventually your sound, maybe not an American sound, but yeah. your sound, your will authentic evolve. sound yeah. will evolve. Yeah, it's like that. It, it, it works that way. It's you travel first and then that has an effect on you. People think it's backwards. People think you, you target a place and then you, I don't know, change and adapt or whatever. But it's actually what you said. It's the other way around. Yeah. Because there are some artists that do do that. I think there's some artists that go like, that's an American sound, that's yeah. not really me, and I'm going to make myself sound like that yeah. to get ahead as opposed to being authentic. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I even noticed just from year to year, your growth and your musicality after you've gone to Japan and recorded or after you've gone to LA and sat with no ID and whatnot. I see the progression and I only see it just continually growing. And that's what's exciting for me to know, like we're stuck where we are here, but my mind, I'm already five years down yeah. the road. Exactly. Like what's gonna be next? Yes. What are you gonna do on the business side? What are you gonna do on the movie side yeah. if you choose to do that again? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think that the world is just your oyster, as they say, like it's big. So Junior, you said something that I was talking to one of my homies recently about the New York grime scene. I'm sure you're familiar with it, you know, Pop Smoke, Fabio Foreign, um, got a lot of younger kids coming up now. Yeah. I'm here, so like I have a personal bias towards the region that raised me. And to your point, Junior, history repeats itself, right? Like, like I went to school for marketing and communications, but all I wanted to talk about was hip hop when I was in school. And I did all my reports on hip hop culture. I obsessed over it. And I realized from studying the roots of hip hop, like the same thing that happened with jazz is the same thing what happened with grime, right? Like drill music. Jazz music was primarily done by black artists and totally overlooked by US consumers. The UK took it, flipped it, and kind of turned it into rock and roll, what is known as rock and roll. And they sold it back to us in the US. And then we wound up riding their wave and we're buying the product that we originally had created, but we, we overlooked. There's no difference between that and what happened with Drill in, in Chicago. It was a very niche thing, like Lil Durk, Lil Reese, Chief Keef, they created, and I know, I know, I know those guys are influential to you. 
but you would have to know about the culture to know that those guys were influencing music at a high level. Music with no rhythm, just kind of like these crazy uh, 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 young chop beats. Like, And then it didn't blow up in the US, kind of went away. And then the UK took it and turned it into grime. And I'm sure people in the UK would debate that, but there's an influence there to grime music. And then now New York is having a resurgence off of this hybrid of UK grime drill with New York flair. So I, I'm saying all that to say that if you take that same variable, Junior is obviously influenced by US culture, hip hop. His influences are Wayne, just like me, bro. Young Thug, T.I. Some of your favorite rappers are my favorite rappers. And I think that's why I like your music so much. Your influences, you kind of already have them. So you don't have to overdo it when you come back to the US because you're basically bringing back what they taught you. Kind of like the way Rolling Stones brought back rock and roll or Skepta brought back grime to the US and ASAP Rocky was able to see it. See, like if you're a music fan, you understand all those corollaries. And the truth of the matter is any artist that came back with the genre that we influenced in the US with, they didn't have to oversell it. They just came and was like, I, I am a product of you, but it's a different version. It's it's influenced by a different region. And I think Junior, that's what you do so well, man. It's effortless, you know? I loved having 40 meetings about your album art and watching you fight so hard for your art. That's <laughs> fire. It was like, I had to tell Def Jam US, like, yo, back down, bro. Just like, stop, stop, stop. Like, like, <laughs> and anyway, I'm going, on, I'm going on a tangent, but that inspired me to be like, yo, he knows who he is. He's not a kid. Like, he knows how he wants to bring this product to the States, and I respect that so much. And I think that's, what, that's what's amazing for me, because sometimes I feel like I learn from you. Like, I've been doing this a long time, but things evolve and things change, right? And I think you even give me a new perspective sometimes as like, okay, I know that that's the way it used to be done, but it could be done this way. I'm old, you know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's what gets me excited that everything that you do feels like you're doing it for the first time, right? Every new track that you you put out and I hear, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so excited all over again. Like, and just the passion and energy and hunger that you have is what gravitated me to you to say, you know what, he's gonna kick ass. But it's all true, nah, it's all good. We're not trying to like, make your head up, but. I think it's important, man. You're running a marathon. And um, I have the luxury of working with a lot of managers. I'm not a manager, I work with managers, I work with artists. And I think the good managers are empathetic to their artists. Like they understand that their artists are the ones that are dealing with all the burden, you know what I mean? So you, you could call it flowers, but I think I think this is stuff that that's always being said about you when you're not in the room. So you should, you deserve to hear it. I had a question. I had a question for you, Junior, because in my city, I'm definitely one of the few people that made it to this level. And anywhere I go, I, I see younger kids that are Spanish like me. I'm Puerto Rican, so and they're always like, "Yo, how is it?" or "Have you met Kanye?" You know, like, yeah. um, and I try to give them perspective. So I ask, I, I, and I'm doing it on a very small scale. I, I, I just out of curiosity, I want to know, like. Bro, South Africa, you know what I mean? Like, what is that, like, like what, what is your favorite thing to hear when you run into somebody young or a younger artist? How are you looking to motivate them? What do you want them to know in case they're listening right now? That's a good question. I've never really thought about them, man. Like, they, they all have either something to say, like telling me how all the stuff that I've done has really taught them not to aim so low or, or not to let anybody define what box they should be put in or how far they can go. You know what I mean? They're they either always telling me that or asking me how to keep going. You know, because starting out is not is not the hardest part. We all start out. Everybody starts out making music. Oh, I make music now. You know what I mean? And, 
And a lot of people tend to get tired along the way. And then when they see people like me who, who, who came from nothing also go this far and still like go crazy like, like I don't even have nothing. I think that that's the one thing that they want. That's the key that they ask me for. You know what I mean? And I, I always have something. It's not like I have, a, I have a scripted in my mind. I always say something different every single time because I'm still learning. Like I'm still learning a lot of, a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? So I just, I always just like, I cross that bridge when I get to it. I think, I know this is specific to the SA to US, US or Africa to US, but I want you to speak a little bit more about work ethic, Junior, yes. because I think that's the common denominator, despite what language you speak or where you come from. Uh, that's, that's, that's what's always separated me. And that's where it separates. Every time I, every time I find a new hero in any industry, I'll be in chapter four of that hero's book, and I'm like, oh, he's he's obsessive, like I am. That that's the common denominator. I, I think that that's the most important thing. Yeah. Like, you can have talent, and you can you can be the most talented person in the world, but if you don't have that grit, and you don't have that hunger, and you don't have that professionalism to know that the entertainment business is still a business. If you're not about gonna be straight about the business, you at least have to surround yourself with a whole bunch of people who are straight about the business mm -hmm. to get the business done. And I think that's what people fail to realize, that they think that you're just gonna go in a studio and make a dope record and it's gonna come out and it's gonna go to number one and it's gonna stop. No, yeah, how many interviews do you have to do a day yeah. that you hate doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, a couple of incidences that, that, that happened, especially, I think it was the first time we were, we were in uh, the States. When we were doing all those interviews, there was this one big room with like 30 radio stations. And I, I had to do like 27 of them or something like that, yeah. right? Same question, same question. Dog, and I was, I was like, I was getting like a little frustrated and I was like, man, I'm so over this. And then, and then I started to realize, wait, the people that I aspire to be as big as are in this exact room doing the same I'm doing and they going as hard as I'm Word. doing it. You know, I was, I was like switching seats with DJ Khaled and, and Young Dolph. Like, I'm like, okay, cool. This, this is what you have to do. Like, there's no way around it. You know what I mean? That was one of my- I love it. Yeah, look. I love that you said Young Dolph. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> amazing, I think- people know who Young Dolph is. <laughs> oh yeah, he's hard. I think people just really fail to realize. And, you know, the one thing, you know, North America is so huge. We probably have 20, 30,000 more publications, radio stations, and everything under the sun than what Africa may have. So when you put out a record and you're doing press here, the amount of press that you have to do there to get it there is like triple flow. Bruh. So he's yeah. been going hard like day in and day out. You know, some days it's like 12 interviews straight and I'm like, buck up. Like this is hey, what this is yeah. what everybody else has to do. This is how you get it done. And it's, right? and it's, it's not like you could just just do it just for the sake of and not give it that like, that same energy yeah. that you gave like the, 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 the other interviews. Yeah. You have to show up like this is your first interview of the day, even if it's like your 12th of the day. Like you still have to be excited. You still have to give it your all because the person that's watching that doesn't really know if you had a bad day or what. That's one of the things I had. That's like one of the hardest things I had to learn. Like I remember when I had to when I had to do interviews back to back. I'd be like, "Yo, how am I supposed to fake being happy? Like what the like? How can I do that?" And then I realized it's just part of the job, man. It's yeah. what comes with it. And it's a skill. Yeah. No, no. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say it's um something that uh you know I'm caught in a weird spot because I'm transitioning into music executive, even though I still feel like a kid and a fan at heart. You know, like when I see Nasty C, I just want to ask him fan questions. I don't want to ask him work questions, even though I probably should be asking work questions. And I have to remind artists, even though I'm good with 
vibing and, and developing relationships with artists like, yo, you know, this is the entertainment business. As much as you may not want it and as much as your skill set may be just the gift of putting words together or to touch the stage and, and, and electrify people, you know, you're in a marathon. And unfortunately, you're not where Frank Ocean is at right now. Unfortunately, you're not where Kanye West is at right now. You're not where Wayne is at. You have to do what people have done before with you to cut through that clutter of the marathon. Now, can we guarantee that this one interview is gonna be the breakthrough interview? Probably not. But what I can guarantee is that if you if you say something that in this interview that gets to the PD of Hot 97 and he sees that interview and he relates to it, and now he's playing your record in one of the biggest markets in the in the world. That's the difference. So you know, Junior, I know you're a fan of Kobe. Uh, uh, I'm also obsessively obsessed with Kobe Bryant, and it's about the little things, about the work you put in, and that's how I see it. Like I don't know where my blessings are going to come from, but I know I'm not going to deny myself any of them. So I'm gonna get up and and put the work in. And the worst part is when you see, and I'm sure you guys see it too. Event, I know you have a large roster you work with. You see a talented person that doesn't put the work in. It's almost like seeing someone that's like six foot eight and doesn't practice or someone has great footwork and doesn't practice it's like it's a blessing you know you're not you're not taking all the way to the bank and that to me is disheartening especially with artists that are incredibly talented so you know junior is a great example of an artist that is incredible at his craft but has also recognized i i gotta put the work in even if it even if i gotta fake being happy which is such a weird thing to say <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey man. I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to do it. So I commend you, man. Can I ask you a question? Working with me, right? For instance, when you guys present these ideas to whoever it is that you guys uh, work with outside, like in the states, what's the one wall you guys always run into? Like the most common one? You mean for as as far as pitching you for stuff or yeah. pitching? You yeah. In but me specifically, considering that it's different with any other artist from from the outside, because mm -hmm. it, it might be like a language barrier or mm -hmm. whatever with me, considering the way I sound, the way I rap and everything. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it from a publicity standpoint, right? And in North America, we started years ago, right? When you started going over and introducing you to like Vanessa XXL and all the editors, whatnot. And people loved you right off the bat and love your music right off the bat too. But in America, it's also about chart numbers, radio numbers and what have you, right? So the difference is there that it's a little harder to crack that nut to get a Rolling Stone feature until you have the numbers and the hits there. And they'll come to the table. I'm very confident that they'll come to the table, but that's like the biggest thing of starting off because in my mind, yeah, in Africa, you're already a superstar. You already have three million. You already have a gazillion plaques and a gazillion wards and whatever. But in America, it's starting off. And so I also have to still keep in mind that all the artists that I worked with and even the superstar artists, when we first started out, it was the same thing. It was the same thing of having to grind and keep sending information and whatever. The difference is, you know, a first time artist coming up there is that I'm like, you have already done it in another continent, whatever, but I've got to bring it back and be like, okay, Rolling Stone or okay, this magazine or okay, late like night television. We, yeah, we have to get to the numbers there and we have to get to the radio numbers there and the chart numbers there to be able to justify, to be able to have those editors justify the spreads and the amount of real estate that they want to give you. And so I guess for me, that's probably the hardest part in just talking about the publicity frame because, you know, that's my background. But maybe Justin, you can talk about the marketing side. I work 
like 14, 15 developing artists. So the struggle is the same for all of them. Uh, going back to what I said earlier, it's a marathon. So how do you distinguish one artist from the other? What is the unique selling proposition that's going to make someone go, oh yeah, yeah, I know that dude. Or, oh yeah, he's dope. Or he's the guy that does this. Nothing really difficult when it comes to you in terms of marketing, because like I said, fortunately and unfortunately, a lot of our business is being dictated by numbers. So good for you and your commitment to your core fan base that whatever we do, your fans gravitate to it. So even if you're on an IG live with a DJ who has 4,000 followers and thinks he's the coolest guy in the world and he's just a DJ in Memphis, not that there's anything wrong with that. The minute he goes on live with you, his is flooded with flags and just like people, you know what I mean, fists, flags, and they have to respect that. So, you know, you, you do a good job with that. I think that's a unique selling proposition. The difficult part is, and I was trying to think of a good analogy, but you travel a lot. Yvette, I know you travel a lot. Um, I remember going to Paris and looking at all the chocolates and the, and the snacks in the airport and not knowing any of them. Like, and just trying to find correlations between the photos and trying to see what felt like something familiar so I didn't get something that I didn't necessarily want or I would regret buying. And I think, you know, not to make it that minimal, but just to answer your question, Junior, I think as a marketer, that's what I try to figure out with all developing artists and specifically someone like yourself. It's like, okay, what correlation can I draw between the consumer and this incredibly talented artist that they feel familiar with and not feel like they're risking anything? That they're clicking on that album, listening to at least three songs, watching one video on YouTube and letting the algorithm feed them two or three more videos. So I know once I get them in the door, they're gonna buy something. Familiarity is important. We still have to break that in the US. Why would anybody want to listen to Nasty C when we have 50,000 other artists who are putting out music every week? Think about that, that's a massive number. Even you probably struggle with that. It's like walking down a movie theater and seeing all the posters and only looking at the posters that you know one of the actors in the posters. But I think that's something that the US consumer is an arrogant consumer, specifically when it comes to hip hop. We export the most hip hop. Why do we need, why do we need Skepta? I don't get it. Why do we need Nasty C? Why do we need Drake? But same thing happened in basketball. Why do we need European basketball players? Those guys came in and reinvented the sport. So I believe that that breath of fresh air from other markets outside of the US is reinventing hip hop. It's reinventing music. Drake reinvented our genre and he's from Canada. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, grime, drill was popping here, left, came back with the UK. Skepta served us drill in a different form as grime as like the number one guy in, in the UK. So same thing for you, Junior. I think we just got to figure out the entry point. You're that dude in your, in, your, in your continent. It's a matter of bringing it back in a way that feels palatable to them, but at the same time, it has your flair, your country's flair. I also think that timing plays such a huge oh, yeah. point, wow. right? Oh, yeah. Like, the time is now and everybody is looking to Africa. Every corporation in America is trying to see how to do synergy. Everybody's trying to get here. I remember when I came here like 10 years ago, nobody was talking about Africa, right? I didn't even know, okay, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, that even Universal Music Africa existed. And I spent 17 years at Universal Music. Like, how is that possible? Like, we don't know. And unless we're exposed, and really unless the global priorities change, which they have right about now to be more inclusive and to import and export and, and have more collaboration, you know, we're just getting to that point where society and the world is changing in general. And so I think you're going to see more of it. We're just on the tipping point and hopefully we'll just drive that sword straight through and open up some doors for people to come behind us. like. You know, I was telling Junior right now, and especially with the song They Don't that he wrote, 
and the fact that he got on Seth Meyers. How many artists did I have who had number one charting songs and things that I couldn't get on that show before I left? But you dropped something that was very pivotal in the moment, right? And it spoke to people and doors opened and doors will continue to open as as we're in the right spot right now. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, Junior, you, you keep doing what you're doing. I think because I know you're competitive and I know you're always setting goals for yourself. Anytime you're in a room with someone from the US, they just gotta be food, bro. You just gotta look at that. Like if you get on a record with somebody, you can't let them breathe. The way you were able to go with Keaton Gotti, who are, a lot of people don't understand how elite what those kids do are. Like their flow switching, their tonality, the last four bars and the got it where he kind of goes up and pitch. Like that's a skill those guys have. And the fact that you were able to come in and, and rock out with those guys and debatably have a better verse, that's the type of energy you got to come into every, every single situation on the US side because you're going to be the new guy in school, you know? And if you punch above your weight class, you're always going to look like, oh, well, we got to remember who that guy is. And I know you do that already, but that level of confidence for anybody that's not you and is listening to this is like, if you're going to be in the room with the people that are essentially in the market dominating the audience that you want, then you got to kill them. Drake killed everyone, everyone for six years straight. He was the goofy kid from Canada. Like... No one wanted to give him his credit, man. No one. I say that because I, I still feel that way about him. He's still the goofy dude from Canada. But he got he's a pop, he's a mega star, you know? And that's because he don't let up. If he's on a record with Fabio Foreign and Pop Smoke, he's coming at them. If he's on a record with Bruno Mars, he's coming at him. If he's on a record with The Weeknd, he's coming at him. He's incredible. He respects the craft, kind of like Eminem. It's like a craftsmanship thing. And the same goes for artists that are coming from other countries. Kill your opponent. I mean, that might not be the best terminology for it, but you get what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I see. I get but you have to have that kind of mentality. Wayne, I know, I know, I know. Julie's a Wayne fan. Wayne, Wayne, yeah, yeah, Wayne did that for years. He bodied everything. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're gonna have data nerds. You're gonna have label guys with the glasses going through numbers. That don't mean nothing. The fans dictate where things are going. Lil Baby destroys everything he gets on right now. That's why he's the number one artist out. When Cardi had it, she destroyed everything. So, you know, it comes down to the craft. And I think you do a great job at that, Junior. So, you know, for you and anybody listening, that's what's going to separate people. That's why I was asking you that time we jumped on the Zoom, like, yo, are you interested in freestyling? Not because that's a thing people still do here, but you're great at it. So if you jump on a flex or you jump on a woo kid or and you destroy it, people got to pay attention. We got to force people to pay attention because sometimes they don't even know what's good for them, especially U.S. consumers. We're arrogant, man. I'm arrogant. I'm sure you're like, you just feel like you know everything already. And then when you get a new product, you're like, wow, I didn't even know this existed. What's going to make that moment, you know? What's going to make the gatekeepers? You know what's really weird to me, and this is probably not the best thing to say as someone who works at Def Jam, but it's funny to me. Every time I jump on a Zoom with like a like a nasty C, who I think is the coolest kid in his continent, and frosted tip dreads with the all white on, the jewelry, like you're the epitome of cool. You're You're an entertainer, you're an artist. And we jump on these Zooms with these people who oversee like these DSP channels, like these streaming channels, <laughs> or these DJs. And I can't help but to be like, yo, this kid is a lame. Like, how does he get to decide what is culture and what is not, what is not? Like, like, if this kid went to school with me, I would I would clown him. Like, he, this guy should not be in control of what gets played and what does. But we don't get that choice. Yeah. So sometimes we got to prove ourselves to people who don't even are not even worth being proven to. But at the end of the day, you just got to prove it to them. And that'd be the same kid that'd be with Playboy Cardi one year and then he got a new rapper next year. But that kid don't have great taste. 
he's just a gatekeeper and you got to get past the gatekeeper. So that's probably what makes artists feel uncomfortable. Like you're a clown. Why am I performing for you? Or you're a clown. Why I got to prove anything to you? I know no one will say that, but I'll say it. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that. Listen. Nah, yeah, Junior can't say that, but you know, I'll be looking at them like, bro, how you get to be the guy? Like, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. And you just got to remove them with performance. That's that's the way I see it. Make it so, like Drake did, make, make yourself so undoubtedly great that they, they can, no one could deny you that spot. What are your goals stateside that you feel like, like, all right, cool, I'm on another level now. What's some things that you're looking forward to that you that you want to accomplish on this side? I have one that I'm gunning for right now. Like, that's, that's, like, that's like at the top of my list right now. It's to go platinum in the States. Platinum in the States. Yeah, because platinum here is different. Platinum yeah. here is way different. It's like, how, how much is I it? think it's five. Is it 500? No. no. Platinum no, 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 here? I'm sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm thinking, I'm oh. thinking gold in America the is Gold in America is 500. Platinum here is like 35. Is, yeah. Do you know because what I mean? So. It's like, it's not even, it's not even gold. It's not even half, not even a quarter. It's like, it's very low, but also it's like perspective. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is that is definitely attainable. And I, I try not to, um, I try not to speak about other artists in front of other artists, but I think this little story would be relatable to you, Junior, because yeah, Valet, V-A-L-E-E, -E, he signed a good music, uh, Kanye signed him. That, before I got your project, two years ago, it's been like three years now, when they brought Valet in, I thought he was the coolest artist in the world. Like I, I emailed my CEO, like, yo, I have to work this project. Like there's no way you give this to anybody. Anyway, long story short, me and his manager got really cool. Kanye, Pusha T, like they did records with him. And we couldn't get anything to connect. And um, he had this record that was in his hard drive for Mad Long, it was called Womp Womp featuring Jeremiah. Me and his manager would be like, yo, this is it. Like, you know, it, by the way, Valet doesn't care about music. He only cares about like being an artist and that's it. So he didn't even have the goal of going gold. He just made music. And I know that's your goal. So I'm telling you the story because it's relative. We took the record. I purposely gave it to all the assistants at Def Jam. And I told them to play it max volume in the office. So all the senior executives could come out and be like, what, what is this song? Like, what's this Jeremiah song? And that was my like mix show in the building just to get people to pay attention to this kid. So anyway, long story short, we um, we put the record out. Uh, we forced the label to put the record out by, you know, was, I'm gonna get in trouble eventually for staying in the story, but we leaked the record. Like I told, I told Barber, like his manager, like, yo, no one's gonna put this record out. Just put it out. So he put it out, came out, internet reacted immediately. It went viral on TikTok, which we have no control over. So I think this is a point of the story that should be important to you, Junior. Sometimes you don't have control over what goes. Like Yvette said, timing is important. So this goes viral on TikTok. The label is like hitting good music, Kanye, like, yo, we don't have clearance. Like we need to get this song out ASAP through UMG. So we rush it, get it out. Me and Barbara are laughing in the background. Like we got it out. Like, this, you know what I mean? It happened. So the record is like, goes crazy. We shoot a video for it. We're, we're probably at like 300,000 units. And the record just kind of died out. Stopped playing that radio or whatever. And then we just kind of moved on. And then out of nowhere, the shit went crazy again on TikTok. Like out of nowhere, just went viral. And then, and then it, we got a sync on Netflix for this movie on Netflix. It was the title page of Netflix. And it went from like 350 to 450, and then the Netflix thing took it to gold. And if you look at the video on YouTube right now, I got 3 million views. It, it, it wasn't a hit hit per se. It was just something that we felt good about and we put into the universe and it kind of connected. And we're talking about an artist that signed a Kanye, signed a Gun Music, signed a Def Jam, UMG, and low key, he kind of did it himself. You know, like whatever that goal is, like numerically that you have, understand that it can be achieved many ways, not just through a label. I always tell people the first round of marketing is in the building. Yeah. And I love like the fact I came up under Jimmy Iovine 
his foresight was get the young kids, get all the interns, get all the other people, forget all those highbrow folks. These are the kids that really know and understand you know, what is happening. So your first rule is to charge and make soldiers inside the building. That makes that sense. That makes sense. And now, again, I don't, I, don't like, I don't like showing other artists stuff. I have a whole gang of plaques from the other artists, but this is my favorite one because it came from the mud. It, it was unexpected. We ran a play that no one wanted us to do. And that's my favorite one because it wasn't the label. It wasn't this elaborate scheme. It was an artist and a manager following their intuition and just knowing what was right at the time. And the world just kind of, that's your point. That's such a good point. Timing is something that we don't really control, but sometimes a lot of hard work and timing leads to a moment. So it's good to have a goal going platinum, but uh, you know, I think the the more, con like what goal is controllable to you, Junior? The, con the goal would be like, I got to get two projects out a year. That's in your control. Going platinum is not in your control. But the more volume we do that, and you put that in front of everybody that you have on state side, we could be like, all right, cool, we got to keep collaborating. We see how every time he did a, a collaboration with a U.S. artist that he had a genuine relationship with, it raised his profile in the U.S., so maybe we need to do more of that. We don't really like how this other shit went. Maybe we need to do less of that. But it's about being strategic and also having goals. But man, I, I, the fact that you said that, now that's what I want. That's what I want for you. And we gonna get there. We gonna get there. Hopefully I don't get fired after this interview. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. We'll protect you. We'll edit it out. We'll yeah. chop some Nah, nah, nah. I, listen, I always, I'm always getting slapped on the wrist for, uh, for what I say about um, big corporations, but I believe artists are magicians, man. You guys are, you guys create magic. Painters, writers, sculptors, architects. You guys have a skill that I would never have. So we 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 create business around your mo the moments of happiness or excitement or you know art that you have. So I don't like keeping the truth in my head. I like letting it out because again, it may not be for you, Junior. It may be for a kid that's listening to this. So so they're not relying on big entities. They could do, they could get it the way you got it. You know, the, the, your documentary, the mini doc that we did for you, that shit motivated me, man. It was like wow, I can't I cannot not work on this kid. This kid's music. I cannot not hustle because. Look, look how far he came. If you have access to the greater world through social media, you have an opportunity to build your fan base. So my advice as a marketer to anyone with no resources or minimal resources is, one of my OGs told me this back home where I'm from, start where you stand, like literally start where you're standing right now and better tools and resources will be found as you go along. But don't not start, like just start now. And whatever platform, my last piece of marketing advice is like whatever platform you have that is showing you positive feedback, double down on that platform. Like if it's TikTok, double down on TikTok. If it's Instagram, double down on Instagram. If it's YouTube, go hard on YouTube. In the earliest phase of your career, don't dilute yourself by trying to do all the platforms. Just find the one that's working most and just kill that one and then build onto other platforms. And that's my advice to anyone that's not Nasty C that's starting brand new. That that's the way you build audience. That's the way you build familiarity. And then people that want to be a part of your business will come to you. Managers will come to you. Artists will come to you. Labels will come to you. So the, the power is really in your control as long as you have access to, to the greater world. And that access is social media. And last time I checked, they ain't charging to start an Instagram or YouTube. So And I just you know. want to add on to that. I, I would tell the young person out there, watch who you have around you. Like mm. one thing that I love about you, Junior, is like you keep it close and you don't let way too many people infiltrate, right? Because too many people talking to you, telling you too many different things fucks up your head. Keep your circle small and try to learn about the business and know that it is a business. And however you can do it, you know, even if it's you and your homie and your homie don't know shit, but you trust him, you guys learn together. You guys learn together yeah. and figure it out and build and keep your circle tight, keep it strong, you know, and you'll, 
you'll you'll get ahead, you'll prevail. Because too many people. Facts. But I hope everybody has enjoyed this Nasty C podcast. Justin, thank you for joining us all the way from New York City early uh, in the you. morning. We appreciate you. Uh, Junior, do you have any closing remarks? Yeah, just thank you guys. Um, I learned a lot. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited, man, for everything that's going to come. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Zulu Man with Some Power podcast series brought to you by M Studios by Old Mutual. If you want to find out more information about the facilities and resources that they offer or revisit some of their masterclasses, the time is now to visit mstudios.ca.za. Music has changed. How it makes us feel never will. The time is now to visit mstudios.co.za.